0: I wonder if you ever receive those sorts of round-robin letters that you get maybe in a Christmas card or something from friends. Perhaps you even send them, I don't know. We, we sometimes do. It's quite common these days when families and friends live spread-out lives to take that sort of annual opportunity to catch up with the news. They're not actually easy to write, I find. When space is limited, what should you choose to tell others about the year so far? What are the most significant things that have happened to your family? Are they funny? Are they sad? Have you achieved something great? Or have you visited somewhere exciting? Would you like to turn to a person sitting next to you and tell them something significant in your life in the last year you know the year so far what would you tell one thing that you've done or place you've been hey you're gonna help me you're gonna help me There's obviously a lot of significant stuff going on in all of our lives. I think probably for Alex and James it's quite easy this morning to think of something significant. This term we've been looking at the letter that Saint Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. In the days before when everybody had a computer In fact, before they could even all write for themselves, it was common practice to employ a professional scribe to do all the writing. So the handwriting would be beautiful and easy to read. But here, as we reach the end, Paul has picked up the pen himself, just as we might on our Christmas letter, to scribble a few words in his own handwriting to the readers. If I send a Christmas letter, I tend to do something similar, make a personal comment to individuals or highlight something that's important in my relationship to them. Paul chooses to end this letter in his own handwriting to emphasize the points that he thinks are most important. So it makes a useful kind of summary for the whole letter for us. So you might ask, what does he have to say? What? In the whole letter to the Galatians does Paul want to make sure that they've grasped. What strikes me as I read these final few verses is that Paul wants to remind his readers both then and now that in Jesus we are a new creation. We're not what we were, bound to remain as we used to be. When we commit our lives to Jesus we start something altogether new. Our reading begins by summing up the mistaken arguments of his opponents, who are extremely concerned with uniformity. Although he wrote in the first century AD, people haven't changed very much at all, have they, really? In the early 1990s, there was a comedy show on the television entitled Keeping Up Appearances. Do you remember it? Its humour was entirely based, it was very English, but it was entirely based on the silly situations its main character, Hyacinth Bouquet, found herself in, and her obsession with what other people thought of her. It was funny because she was clearly ridiculous. It was funny because we recognised people we knew in the way the characters behaved. But, you know, it was also funny because we secretly recognised our own desire to be thought well of in the silly things she said and did. We are, even now, an approval-hungry generation. We're so sophisticated in the 21st century with our mobile devices. But, you know, when you post something on Twitter, on Instagram or Facebook, the number of likes you receive is very important for some people. It's somehow very affirming to get that little thumbs up signal or the little red heart to show that others have noticed you and approve of what you're saying or doing. The desire to fit in affects the clothes we wear, the music we listen to, the car we drive, the place we shop, the newspaper we read. We all do it. From the earliest age, it seems we have a view of how we want people to see us, and we're sometimes willing to change quite drastically in order to fit in with that image. For the Galatian church, the problem centered around religious practice quite funny to be talking about that today of all days when we've just baptized people. Most people in the early church started off as Jews, you see, and came later to life, to Christianity. So they were already circumcised because they were Jewish. That's a really important part of belonging to the Jewish community. But as the Christian church grew and spread across the world, non-Jews found faith too. And the question arose, is circumcision important for a Christian? Paul's answer is a resounding no. Religious practice is not what it's about. People followed the Jewish law in order to try and make themselves right with God. It was a good idea, the best they could attempt at living a godly life. But however hard they tried, they knew no one could keep the law perfectly. It just couldn't be done. In a sense, they were therefore slaves to the law. And they couldn't work themselves free. In relationship with Jesus, we are a new creation We're no longer slaves, but we're free to live in a different way, as God's beloved children. We have a new relationship with him, and with one another as we live as brothers and sisters in Christ. Under the law, it was very frowned upon to mix socially with others who were not part of your group, who didn't conform to your idea of correct religious practice but as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're no longer divided by race or social or gender barriers. We're free to be one in Christ and to share equally in the blessings of the gospel and the hope that its promise gives. As Andy reminded us last week, if you were here, that's not freedom to sin, to do exactly as we please, but freedom to love and serve one another In Jesus' name. So for Paul, the important question is not what religious ceremonies you've been through. He doesn't care if you've been circumcised or not. In fact, whether you've been baptized as a baby like James or as an extremely old man like Alex. (laughs) Or not even at all. It doesn't matter to Paul. So that begs the question, for me, what does matter? How can we make our relationship with God right and know that we have an eternal hope and a future? Paul makes it perfectly clear in verse 14, if you're following in the Bibles, what matters is the cross. In God's amazing love for the world, even though for the most part we didn't give him a second thought, he sent his son, Jesus, to live amongst us, to be one of us. He's the only man ever to live a truly perfect life, and yet he died for our sakes, a hideous death reserved for the worst of men. In its day, the cross was really offensive, a scandal. A dreadful thing, and yet, in the extravagance of his far-reaching love for humankind, God used that most dreadful of things as a turning point in history. Historians sometimes talk of turning points in war, don't they? The first battle of the Mound in, in 1914 was one such moment in the First World War. I read a moment when the balance of power shifted, a moment after which the future would be forever affected. On a much smaller scale, we have turning points in our own lives, don't we? We make a choice that affects our future, perhaps to take a job, perhaps to leave one, to get married or give birth to a child, to give something up or to take something on, to resolve, to change something in your life that will affect your future forever. It doesn't mean that there won't be other choices to make or battles to fight, but in some way you've made a choice, nailed your colors to the mast, as they say, a turning point. When Jesus died for our sakes on the cross, It was a turning point for humankind. Nothing would be the same again. He rose and returned to his Father in heaven. In his place, he sent the Holy Spirit, who gives new life to all who accept him as Lord. And he lives in our hearts. When we acknowledge our inability to save ourselves and instead put our faith in Jesus, The gift of the Holy Spirit sets us free to live a life based in love. We're no longer bound by the law, which is a cruel and demanding master, but we're free to live in response to this amazing act of heavenly love. Free to do the right thing, as Archdeacon Andy said last week. For Paul, the heart of the matter is not what we do at all. It's what Jesus did when he gave up the splendor of heaven and all that was rightly his in order to suffer for our sakes, to take on himself the punishment for our sins. What the law couldn't do, Jesus did for us. This morning, We celebrate with James the hope we have for his future and all the blessings that God has for him as he grows up. And we rejoice with Alex as he declares his faith and his hope in Jesus. The water of baptism symbolizes for us the washing away of the old life and the commitment to a new hope for the future. But do you know, it's not baptism. Itself that is the amazing thing. Baptism is merely an outward sign of a wonderful thing that has already happened in a person's heart. The miracle of new birth in spiritual terms. It's the beginning of a new adventure. It's the acknowledgement that as we give our life over to Jesus, we are a new creation that we have a new relationship with our Heavenly Father and a new hope for the future. This new hope is a rare and precious thing because happily, it's not reliant on us getting it right. It relies only on us coming to Jesus and inviting him to be Lord of our lives. Nothing that has gone before either good or bad, makes any difference when we commit our lives to him. Nothing we have ever done is so bad that Jesus will turn us away. And nobody has ever been so good that they don't need his help. No one is too rich or too poor. No one is too clever or too uneducated. No one is beneath his notice or above needing him. We're all in the same boat, every single one of us. We start again in in this new order that measures things in a completely different way. Not a meritocracy, but under a rule of grace. Paul ends his letter By wishing the peace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with all who read the letter. It's that peace which reaches out to others and marks out the life of the believer. As the Holy Spirit makes his home in our heart, he brings with him the fruit of the Spirit, which grows in us and makes us into this new creation that we've been speaking of. Love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness even self-control are marks of this new kingdom life and they should be evident in the life of all believers now that's not to say that we all evidence all of these things all of the time but the holy spirit promises to bring these things with him and if we allow him They will develop in our lives as we walk daily with Jesus. So, as we reach the end of this challenging letter, Paul reminds us that as believers we are a new creation, with a new relationship with our Heavenly Father and our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and a new hope for the future. Because of Jesus' unfailing love for us, Because of the cross, we have the freedom to choose to live this way, and nothing can take that away from us. The church encourages baptisms to take place as part of an act of public worship, because it's a very good opportunity to remind every one of us what it is that we believe. Just like the Galatian church, we're surrounded by a world that gives us different messages. It tells us that we have to work harder, be better, earn our place of worth in one way or another. Paul reminds us that it is only the grace of God that saves us. Nothing we could do could make us good enough, you know, but that doesn't matter. Because Jesus' love for us is so great that on the cross he did all that was necessary. All we need to do is give our lives to him and as we live in response to his love, his love and grace and peace will grow in our hearts. As we gather around the communion table in a moment, we'll remind ourselves of all that Jesus did for us as we receive the bread and the wine, we do so with thankful hearts and we remember that that gift, given by grace, not earned. It might be that you've been a believer for many years, in which case I encourage you to dwell for a moment with your Lord and thank him again for all that he is to you as you receive the bread and the wine. It might be that this morning is the first time you've ever given Jesus a second thought, in which case, do come forward and receive a blessing. As you stand before him, receive his love and be free, because of the cross, to be a new creation and have a new relationship with our heavenly Father and new hope for the future, amen. we're going to sing together now and the words